Hello and welcome to another episode of Healing Through Pain, a podcast dedicated to the mission of walking people towards healing and health. In each new episode, we will discuss how to show up well for the responsibilities and opportunities that life sends our way. Here is your host, Stephanie West, a licensed practicing counselor in the state of Michigan, a teacher, and a professor who lives her life at the intersection of mental health and education. Thanks so much for following along. Welcome to a new episode. To me, it is just wild that it is February this week. I really struggle with perception of time anyway. I think all things pandemic stripped away my understanding of how to appropriately navigate time. And so life simultaneously just moves at such a swift pace, but then drags on forever, especially if you're in Michigan and it's winter time. But it's going to be February or it maybe when you're listening to it, this, it already is February. So welcome to a new month. Welcome to one twelfth of our 2022 year already being behind us, which is just wild to think about. But I think time and how fleeting time is actually kind of corresponds well to the discussion for today. And the discussion is about identity formation. The discussion is about who am I or who I am actually. And it's something where when we are walking into a formed identity, we need to develop it, but we also need to hold it loosely because as we grow and change and as we learn, so too will our ideas and our convictions, our preferences, our relationships, our likes and our dislikes. They have a purpose and they help create kind of a framework for us, but we also should have some flexibility with them. One of the things I want to talk about today is what happens when we don't have a well-developed sense of identity. And one of the most interesting spaces I actually see mental health distress show up is between parents and children when parents do not let kids go through the process of figuring out their own identity. If we look at it from a basic psychology standpoint, parents tend to have almost 100% influence and say in their kids' lives until around fourth grade. So usually Usually, kids will defer to parents almost exclusively until around fourth grade. As we get towards middle school and we're around kind of seventh grade, there tends to be a shift where it's about a 50-50 split of peer influence and parent influence. And this, of course, categorically gets really, really intimidating for some parents. This gets really concerning. This is why we care about who our kids spend time with. That's a very reasonable thing to be inquiring about and to be wondering about because suddenly you have other voices that are going to occupy about 50% of your child's headspace and things related to not only their thoughts, but their actions, their interactions, there's now other voices that are weighing in on what's true about a seventh grader. We go a little bit further and we get around 10th grade. And now, unfortunately, or as is life, and maybe we should say fortunately, parents lose even more ground in the say-sos of what goes on in their kids' lives. Around 10th grade, we see about a 70-30 split where about 70% of influence comes from peers and parents get about a 30% influence in their child's life. And so we're talking around ages 16, 17. And to be fair, I could see where that is kind of a terrifying prospect because parents have the reference point of going back to when they were 16 and 17 and understanding just how immature they were and how ill-prepared they were. And of course, there's fear for their own kids. There's worry for their own kids. They have anecdotal evidence in front of them that their kids can't handle much, right? Like we we look at our 10th and 11th graders and we're like, ooh, egads, <laughs> can't trust them with much. That's, that's a very pre predictable experience that we might have, but that doesn't change the reality that we've lost 70% of influence in their life. Now, the good part 
parent is. If our walk and our talk is congruent, often parents still have a lot of the morality influence in their kids' lives as we come into late teen years. But if you're not congruent, that's where it gets really tricky. So if you say one thing and you act another way, kids are very savvy and they will pick up on that. And unfortunately, parents do lose a lot of say in their children's lives if they're walking incongruently to what they're expecting their kids to do. Now, I want to take one step back here and lay kind of a foundation for how some of us grow up in maybe a more protected atmosphere where we're kind of disallowed from making our own choices and from going through the growing pains of entering adulthood. My friend Joe, when he does his parenting sessions, he reminds parents often, he says, to raise kids is to invite them into adulthood. That is your purpose. That is your goal. That is the objective of raising children. I'm also in the middle of reading How We Grow by Dr. Henry Cloud and Dr. John Townsend. And what they say there is that at some point, your children are supposed to become your peers. Your children are supposed to be not only invited into adulthood, but they should have equal weight, their voice and your voice. It's not supposed to be they're your perpetual children. You're supposed to invite them into adulthood. But some of us have grown up in a construct that disallows that and where we're supposed to remain a perpetual child and we're supposed to defer perpetually to what the adult authorities in our lives say. And that is going to be a clear impedance to identity formation. So people who have grown up in a strict religious context, people who have grown up in a strict authoritarian context, people who were told what was right and what was wrong and parents would not deviate from it. When kids ask for explanations, parents would say, well, because I said so. That does not prepare kids for going out and navigating the world out of love for doing what's right. That equips them to navigate the world and don't do things out of fear. And unfortunately, a fear-based reality is only going to carry on for so long. I can't tell you how many people I intersect with where they're in their 40s and in their 50s and in their 60s and they're having such terrible relationships with their parents because only finally now are they starting to say, well, wait a second. What mom said actually isn't true and what dad's imposed on me actually isn't true. And now they have to reconcile that they've lived as a perpetual child instead of stepping into the adult space. And sometimes stepping into the adult space means taking on and tackling those overimposed parent voices that maybe inappropriately make decisions for us. One of my favorite illustrations for this, and to be fair, Sigmund Freud, 18 shades of crazy at times. Lots of his stuff was drawn from his own understanding of the world, and he kind of created his own hypotheses and then ran experiments that validated his hypotheses and called it science. And, you know, it was what it was early 1900s. But one of the things he contributed that for me is so valuable is his understanding of the id and the ego and the superego. So hopefully I can give you kind of a visual image here. If we have a line in linear fashion from left to right, I have the id, I have the ego, and I have the superego. Chronologically, it makes sense because the id on the left side is that childlike, impulsive, for lack of better phrasing, like sex, drugs, and rock and roll, eat, drink, and be merry. I want my cake and eat it too for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, right? The it is that childlike, impulsive, I want all of the things. Now, the ego is that adult self, and then to the right of the ego is that super ego. The super ego are the parent and authority voices that are in our lives. They're the ones that give us kind of our parameters, and their job is to give parameters. But for those who overimpose and try 
try to use guilt and shame on their kids. What tends to happen is when the ego, which is the well-developed adult, the adult who's supposed to be autonomous, the adult who's supposed to be able to make their own decisions, sometimes they're not able to be and and they're immobilized in the decision-making process because they can only hear the expectations of the superego. They can only hear the sanctions from the adults in their lives telling them that things are right and wrong, things are pass or fail. And unfortunately, the ego stays in a perpetual state of childhood because they're not strong enough or they don't realize they have a choice to push back against super restrictive authority-driven sanctions on their life. Now, sadly, what also happens at times is the id is going to be heard. That childlike impulsive piece is going to show up. And so sometimes it gets suppressed and repressed and it shows up in really kind of passive aggressive ways. Sometimes it shows up in addiction. Sometimes it shows up in really, really kind of catastrophic burn your life to the ground type of choices. But the whole job of the ego is to take kind of the id and let's let's even use the angel devil metaphor. So you have the angel on one side, the, the super ego telling you the good things to do. The id on the other side is the devil whispering in your ear the bad things to do. And again, this is just, it's a well used analogy. So I think it might track better for listeners. But basically you have the angel and the devil on the shoulder. The job of the ego is to synthesize it all and make decisions. If just the id had the reign of things or just the devil got to run unchecked, really bad things can happen. But it's equally as destructive to have the angel on the one shoulder, the super ego on the one shoulder, trying to make all of the decisions for you. And now you're living in a rigid posture of what's right, what's wrong. And for some of us, the ego is a blueprint of the super ego. And we don't have autonomy from those authority structures in our life. We're just kind of little imprints of where we came from. And we regurgitate what we've been taught. And we've never gone through the work of becoming an independent, autonomous adult. Now, one of the things I'm saying here is we've never been allowed to, but the other piece of it is the personal responsibility. It is really difficult to grow in identity formation and to tackle that when you're not given permission to, but you're still supposed to do it anyway. That's what being an adult actually is. And if you expect to be well, and if you expect to help your children be well, you've got to break the cycle of authoritarian sanctions on your life. So there are formative skills that kids must practice throughout their high school years and throughout their young adult years. They've got to learn what things they want to say yes to. They've got to learn what things they want to say no to. They've got to learn what's for their good and what's beneficial to their health. They're going to learn, sometimes unfortunately through rampant experimentation, things that are bad for their health. But the point is testing boundaries and experimentation is part of what kids have to go through to become fully functioning, thoughtful adults. And we live in a culture that tries to take away all pain from kids, but sometimes that also means taking away choice from kids. And it means impeding their identity formation, and that is not going to invite them into a space of adulthood. Now, there are clearly moral issues. You do not go out and cause intentional harm to others. You do not go out and cause intentional harm to yourself. There are absolute things that kids need to avoid, right? Like the whole idea of flee from the presence of evil. That's sound wisdom. But kids are much better going to understand how to live healthfully if it is modeled for them, not if it is told to them. So if parents are modeling a healthful walk and kids see that as a choice, that's going to look far different than authoritarian parenting telling them the yeses and the noes and what they have to do to remain an intact part of the family or to get mom and dad's approval. So what I find to be particularly interesting is for the longest time, I was very much a super ego imprint 
presented and I made decisions based on what kind of now my internalized voice says is right and wrong. But I was making judgment calls about a lot of things that I had never really even thought about. I had never processed through them. I had never decided what's right, what's wrong, with what do I agree, with what do I disagree. So now I am in my 30s, in my mid-30s no less, trying to make some of these decisions for myself really for the first time in my life. And so this applies to a whole host of health domains, which I'll talk about in just a moment here. I have to make decisions about finances. I have to make decisions about spirituality. I have to make decisions about emotional health. I have to make decisions about physical health. I have to make decisions about recreation. There's so many places where I have to now start figuring it out for myself because I didn't do the work I was supposed to in my late teens and early 20s. And I can say, hey, I wasn't allowed to do that work. But also I forewent, I think that's what forego in the past tense would be, I forewent the opportunity to grow and to learn because I just decided to to hear those parent voices and call it truth and not question it. So over the last couple weeks, just some of the things I've been trying is I went skiing for the first time. That was a dumpster fire, but it was an enjoyable dumpster fire. And I'll go back again because I enjoyed it. And I can honestly say like, hey, I went and tried a new skill and I think it went okay. We'll put that in the box of things I want to do again. I, this last weekend, went to a local comedy club. Honestly, it was kind of hit or miss, but the experience is one that I can walk away from saying, oh, either that's for me or that's not for me. This last December, when I took a cruise alone, I now have a reference point for saying, yes, I like taking cruises alone, or no, I don't want to do that again. Last night, I went out with a cousin and we played pool for, I mean, for me, it was the first time in decades. And it was one of those things where I was like, okay, I think I actually enjoyed that. I'd like to do that again. So I I'm systematically going through a bunch of different things and trying to make, you know, some sort of decision on do I like this? Do I not like this? When I join a new gym, I can't look to someone else and say, hey, do I like it or no? I've got to make that decision. When I start with a new therapist, I I can't look at someone else and say, hey, do I like this therapist or not? I've got to make that decision. When I try out new cuisine, I can't ask other people like, oh, do I like this or do I not like this? I've got to learn to make those decisions. As I meet new people, I, in my socially awkward way, I have to try to figure out how to navigate. Is this person someone that I benefit from spending time with? Someone who's enjoyable to be around? Or do I not want to be around them? And ooh, egads, how do I decide if I don't want to be around them, how to break that news to them, right? So I have a lot of adulting to figure out. I have these gaps to fill in because when I should have done that years and years ago, I didn't have the infrastructure or the support system or even what I assumed was the permission to do them at that time. One of the things in the book that I'm working on, I should have it done being written by Mark. And then I've got to figure out what happens from there. But it's actually called map gaps. And the goal of it is to normalize the anxiety that we experience as it relates to poorly formed identity formation and what we have to do to walk towards health and wellness in our lives. And one of the core things we have to do is experiment. So today I talk about recreation, but we go through the growing pains in all areas of our lives. And that's the way we learn who we are. What am I about? What do I stand for? And we might find out that not everyone likes us once we figure out who we are. But through experimentation and showing up in our own lives, we might discover that we actually like us. And that, my friends, is the win. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen. Please share this content with friends and family. Feel free to connect with Stephanie at healingthroughpain21 at gmail.com. Until next time, be well.